Earlier this year, uncertainty about the pandemic was at its highest. Doctors' offices closed. Elective operations were canceled. And doctors around the country were starting to wonder what was going to happen to all the patients who could not come in for their usual care. You know, I think as early as March, I could see the impact of COVID, the fear of COVID on my patients and how they were deciding how to manage their medical care. That's Dr. Michelle Kittleson. She's a cardiologist at Cedars-Sinai Hospital in Los Angeles. She first noticed that attitudes were shifting when she saw a new patient in early March, a 70-year-old man with chest pain. And it was very interesting because he had this exertional chest discomfort that was undoubtedly caused by a blockage in the heart artery. And medically, that situation has been shown in multiple studies that medications work just as well as stents. So I explained this to him. And he was suspicious, and his wife was a little suspicious. And they, I said, well, let's just try medicines, because I know medicines may work. And they said, fine, but schedule us for an angiogram two weeks later. Fine. Dr. Kittleson went ahead and scheduled that test to look at the patient's arteries. But by the time the appointment came around, COVID-19 precautions were in full effect. She called the patient up and learned that he still did not feel well. So I was prepared to tell him, yes, your angiogram's scheduled this Friday. You'll come in at 7.30. And he said, you know what? I'm just going to give medicines a try. For me, that was a pivotal moment. I never expected there would be a virus that caused more fear than coronary artery disease. I, I was stunned. And it said to me, we are going to see things in this pandemic that we've never anticipated. And not just infection things. But it's going to, the fear is going to affect our decision-making. It was that fear, the fear of contracting the coronavirus in a hospital, that Dr. Kittleson believes led her patient to skip the angiogram altogether. Stories like that one are not rare. In fact, across the country, doctors are reporting that patients are delaying visits and delaying treatment. And when those patients do come in, they are often arriving sicker with more serious complications. People are also skipping preventative screenings, meaning that diseases like cancer could go undetected for longer. For months now, doctors have been wondering if all of this delayed care was going to translate into more people dying. While we still don't know for certain, we are finally starting to see data that suggests that could be the case, especially for people with chronic illness. Last week, a study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association found that from March to July, deaths from non-COVID-19 causes, like heart disease and Alzheimer's, increased sharply in several states with the most COVID-19 deaths. So today, Dr. Kittleson and I wanted to talk through some solutions. What does this all mean for you? How can we get patients to come back before it's too late? I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta. CNN's chief medical correspondent. And this is Coronavirus, Fact versus Fiction. I'm wondering, Doc, if you can sort of take me back into the months even before the pandemic. So before the pandemic hit, it was business as usual, sick patients coming in, getting transplanted, busy clinics, busy cardiac catheterization laboratories. Everything was humming, running as usual. How surprised were you by how quickly things started to accelerate? In March and April, 
things had changed dramatically. The conversation went from how's the weather to, oh my gosh, the world has shut down. And in a way, it was strange in that we were waiting for something bad to happen. That's what March and April felt like in Los Angeles, because we didn't have these overflowing units and repurposed operating rooms and redeployment of physicians to different areas. It was more, we need to get ready for the storm. The tsunami is going to hit. I mean, I think what you're describing is something that we saw in hospitals around the country, right? Even where I work uh, as a neurosurgeon at Emory, our hospital sort of turned into a COVID hospital for two and a half months. They would have a daily committee meeting where they would basically determine for the next day, these operations, are they elective? Are they urgent? Are they emergent? Do they need to be done? It really changed, I think, how we care for patients and what we deemed as being absolutely necessary How about at your hospital? I've not been on the front lines of COVID here in Los Angeles, but I've witnessed COVID casualties, right? I've seen patients who won't tweak their medications because they don't want to get their labs checked and then they get into trouble. Patients who delay heart failure hospitalizations, patients who need transplant evaluations because they're in that magical window where their heart is sick enough, but the rest of them is still well enough, but through delay, They've lost that magical window of eligibility for transplant. I've seen patients who they lose their job because of the shutdown, and they're ashamed to tell me they've lost their insurance and they can't take their rejection medications. And so you take these anecdotes, and it really makes me believe that we have to not only factor in the infection fatality rate, the case fatality rate, but the isolation fatality rate. As you've looked into this, doctor, have you been able to give get a sort of an, a, an idea of consequences at a population level for people who have skipped visits, not going to the doctor or showing up later to the doctor? How do you how do you describe that for people? So there are studies now published in peer-reviewed literature dealing with this issue on a population level. You know, there was one that showed that there were 500,000 more deaths in the US in March and April 2020 compared to that period over the prior six years, and that more than 50% of those were diabetes, heart disease, stroke diseases, not COVID. There are studies out of New York City to show that out-of-hospital cardiac arrests were three times higher in March and April of this year compared to the prior year, suggesting patients were delaying their care such that they had a cardiac arrest at home instead of coming into the hospital. Um, And there are studies, uh, there was a study in a large center in Mississippi that if you looked at the number of heart failure admissions per week, baseline 30 patients a week at the height of the pandemic, five per week. Hmm. And heart failure does not magically improve because of COVID. It's patients delaying the care. And I am hopeful of accumulating evidence to this effect to remember that there's two sides. There's two types of risk. There's infection risk and there's isolation risk. It's got to be a really challenging proposition, right? I think about my own parents. Um, They're not, you know, people who need heart transplants, but they are considered vulnerable because of their age. So what do you tell them? They say, doctor, I'm scared to come in. Uh, if, If I've heard anything, I've heard that I could be at increased risk and I know there's people around me who aren't wearing masks and behaving themselves. All right. So I, I say I tell them two things. The first thing I say is let's balance the risk of coming to s- seek medical care 
with the benefits of seeking medical care, okay? So when you're seeking medical care, you're going to a facility that has mandatory temperature screenings, disinfectant on entering the hospital, masking, face shields by healthcare practitioners. So you are minimizing your risk in the healthcare facility where everyone is following the best practice guidelines to reduce infection transmission. And then there's the benefit to your care. Now, Contrast that with going to a restaurant or a crowded venue or, you know, listen, I grew up in the 90s, a mosh pit. I mean, that has no clear benefit and a lot of risk. So it's all about that, that balance. What are you, what are the precautions you're taking and what will you get out of it? But hospitals are a place where there are sick people. Right. That is that is the thing. You don't go there unless you're sick because you could become sick. You know, even pre-COVID, we used to say that. You think still that it is generally safe for people to be going to the hospital, to go to clinic, obviously, if they need to, even in the middle of this pandemic. Absolutely. We always tell patients the longer you stay here, the more likely you're going to catch an infection. But let's think about how it's working in the age of COVID. There's still the same screening when you hit the emergency department or you're admitted. And COVID patients can be uh, placed in a specific area of the hospital with specific additional precautions. So yes, I am optimistic that the things we have put in place don't make the risk zero because the risk of life is never zero, but makes the risk acceptable such that the benefit you will derive from seeking medical care whether outpatient or hospitalization is still there and still greater than the risk. So what do we do going forward? I mean, I know what you're doing. You're, you're counseling your patients and you're, you're, you're giving them the risk-reward proposition and really spelling it out for them. But as a country, there are people obviously still frightened. Where do we go? You know, I th- it's hard. I think the messaging from a national level needs to be subtle. It can't be absolute. And the messaging is there is risks to COVID, but there are risks to isolation. And if you take the best precautions you can, hand washing, physical distancing, and masking, and then you're smart about where you go, facilities where that is done 100%, like healthcare facilities, and or the great outdoors, you will be able to weather this pandemic by minimizing your infection risk, but also minimizing your isolation risk. And that, I think, it's the subtlety that it's not so easily captured necessarily in a clickbait soundbite. And just finally, do you worry for your own self? How worried are you for your own health or taking the virus even back to your family uh, unwittingly? So I have this rule in life that I can only worry about things I can control. And even then, I don't worry, I make a plan. So this is what I tell people. If I get COVID or you get COVID, either one of us could end up in the intensive care unit and either one of us could have a terrible outcome. Once we get COVID, I cannot control what happens. So I can't worry about that. All I can do is control my ability to contract COVID. So if I do the smart things, the masking, the hand washing, the physical distancing, then I am at peace that I've done everything in my power to prevent me or someone else from getting COVID. And beyond that, I have to live my life. As Dr. Kittleson said, there's always going to be some risk associated with nearly every activity. The goal is not to eliminate risk altogether. That would be impossible. But rather to weigh the risk of getting the virus against the risk 
of putting off a doctor's visit. It's important for people to continue to tend to all areas of their health throughout this pandemic. Schedule the routine checkups and the routine screenings that you're supposed to get and go to the doctor if you're not feeling well. Because the unfortunate reality is, as much as life may feel like it's on pause right now, diseases and illnesses do continue to progress. Take Dr. Kittleson's patient, for example, the 70-year-old man with chest discomfort. His condition got worse. Ultimately, Dr. Kittleson decided that he needed to get a stent put in to improve his blood flow. And this time, he put aside his fear of the coronavirus, went to the hospital, and had the procedure. And we're happy to report he's doing a lot better now. If you have questions, please record them as a voice memo and email them to asksanjay at cnn.com. We might include them on the next podcast. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening.